Good morning, church. Listen, packed house this morning. Everybody look around just for a second. Look at all these people. This is like all the nine o'clock crowd that was like, what? No internet, no live stream. I guess I'll shower this morning and go to church today. We're so glad that you're here in the room with us this morning. It's been a really, really fun morning already. I'm looking forward to being able to spend time with you as well as we open up the scriptures and allow God to teach us something new, to do something in us that he might do something through us. Uh, I'll be leaving on Tuesday to Liberia with this wonderful team of, I think, 11 of us from the church and doing some really awesome work. I'm really excited about it. And last week, we received the blueprints for the houses that we're going to be building uh, while we're in Liberia. And so as we were looking through them, I noticed, you know, on these plans, other plans I've seen as well, like there's no spot on the plan where it's like, this is where the couch goes in the living room. And this is the spot. This is the color of the walls in the kitchen. This is what it will be. Or here's the shower curtain that will go into the bathroom. You know, any kind of blueprint like this is really only focused on a couple different things. I mean, it's focused on foundation, and it's focused on framework. Because these two things are the most important part of the construction, the most important part of the build. If you don't get these two things right, the rest of the construction doesn't really matter. And if we get these two things wrong, we'll have trouble with the rest of the construction. So for the first two weeks of this sermon series that we've been in, we've been talking about these two things, the foundation and the furnishings. But first the framework as well. What does God want for our life? How does he want us to live? And so, you know, last week, if you were here, uh, you heard from Chad Myers, a really great message, really talking about those furnishings and framework, like we should pay attention to the inside, what God is doing in here, get these things together before we focus on the outside. Otherwise, we become Pharisees that Jesus oftentimes had discussions with. And then two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff did a great job of kicking off this whole sermon series called Blueprints, talking about how we as a church, our blueprint and the foundation that we are built on is Jesus Christ. Because every house will have wind and waves. Every house will, will come across things like this. The question is, will it stand or will it fall? And so this church is not built on a denomination. It's not built on one single pastor. It's not built on popular opinion. We want this church to be built on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our framework. He is our foundation. He is what everything hangs upon. As the Bible says, he's our cornerstone. And so this morning, what I wanna talk about is some of the tools that it really takes to be able to build a foundation for life. Like, what are some of the tools that we are given to live this life that God wants us to live? And so one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of in this church and so thankful for is uh, some of the ways, the formative opportunities for students in the church to be able to grow and be shaped and to encounter God. And one of the ways is in the summertime, being able to go on mission of different kinds. You know, whether it's out of the country or right here in our state, there's all kinds of ways that students can serve and be able to grow that way. And one of the ways that we, for many years, were partnered was here in South Carolina, something called Sockahatchee. So Sockahatchee was a week-long mission trip where students from around the state through the United Methodist Church would come together in different towns and cities around the state, and they would help rebuild homes and ultimately help rebuild lives of folks who had holes in their floor, bugs everywhere, ceilings falling in, roofs leaking, you name it, all the things were going on. And so you'd have different adults from around the state come together to help lead these students in different locations to make sure that things were properly done, hopefully, and so forth. But what would always happen is every Sakahachi week, as wonderful as it was, there was always people who had been there for many, many years, very familiar with the Sakahachi landscape, construction, and so forth, that you'd always have like these newbies. You know, when you're 14, you can go to Sakahachi for the first time. So you'd have all these kids that don't know anything about anything, never seen a hammer in their life. And so you have some of these adults who would look for students like that, who would be on their, their job site. And I won't name all of them, but one of them is named Jay Collins. He was here at nine o'clock. But we have some adults who would look for some of these students and he, they would say to these students, hey, listen, come over here. I got a bit of a problem because I'm trying to work over here, but the hammer I have, it's a left-handed hammer. The problem is I'm a right-handed 
individual. So can you go, now I, I see some of y'all's faces right now. You are the perfect individual they're looking for at Salkahatchee. There is no left-handed hammer or right-handed hammer. It's all the same. So this student would go, okay, I'll find it. And they would go off into the trailer and they would look for the left-handed hammer or the right-handed hammer for the person that needs it. Or, you know, someone like, I don't know, Jay Collins would say to another student, hey, listen, we just cut this board. It's a little bit short. And so if you could go look, search for just a little bit and find me a board stretcher. If you could find a board stretcher, we could add a little bit of, you know, length onto this board. It would fit perfectly. But, I mean, we kind of made a mistake. We cut it too short. Can you go look? And the kid's like, yeah. So they would go off. And literally for hours, <laughs> these students would search for these different tools around the, 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 uh, the site that we're working at that don't exist. Right-handed hammers. They're looking for gas-powered pliers and sky hooks to get things on top of the All kinds of things. Things they'll never actually find. You know, in this service, in, across our campus, in our community, and me personally, I know, there are so many times that we find ourselves actually looking for these different kinds of tools to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. But unfortunately, the places that we go to and the ways that we look for them, they end up leaving us empty anyway. The kind of tools that we're often looking for from the world or from things outside of our relationship with God, they're never really gonna fulfill. So we find ourselves searching and searching and searching for right-handed hammers and gas-powered pliers and all the kinds of things that we think will fix our life and get it all back in place. And the problem is, in the end, they simply don't work. So this morning, what I wanna talk about is that I believe the Bible has given us real tools for our life. Like real ways for us to build a foundation for life in ways that honor God and honor people around us. I feel like too often we spend so much time and energy trying to fix our marriages or beat this addiction or repair this friendship or get our anxiety in check, but we're looking for tools that in the end, they won't really help. To build a foundation for life, I would argue we need the right tools for the job. If we're really gonna do this and do this well, we have to have the right tools for the job. And I believe the Bible tells us what's been given to us. For some of us, including myself, oftentimes, we live this, with this if-then mentality. We walk around every single day being like, you know what? If this happened, then this would happen. Like if this would take place, then finally my life could get back on track. If this would happen, then my marriage could finally be what I want it to be. If this would happen, I could get along better with my children finally and our family. If I had a better job, I could actually become generous. If this, then this. And for too many of us, we're waiting for something to happen that unfortunately may never happen. And with an if mentality, if then mentality, we find ourselves just stuck where we find ourselves. If this person wasn't such a drain on me, then I could finally have joy. If it wasn't for my past mistakes and things I've done long ago, then I could finally live without shame. Enough with the if-then mentality. Because the Bible tells us that we lack nothing, that we've been given all the tools necessary to live the kind of life that God wants for us. We have the tools at our disposal. They're available to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what 2 Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says it this way. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness. is provided to us through his divine power. Whose divine power? Y'all know this. Jesus. 
Through Jesus' divine power in our lives, we have everything that we need. This means there is no situation, no circumstance, there's nothing that we could come across or face that we're not equipped to face through Jesus Christ. This word, actually, this word power in the English comes from the Greek word dunamis. Everyone say dunamis. Better than nine o'clock, but still some improvement can be done. This English word dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. It literally means energy or force or might. This word is used 120 times within the, within the New Testament. Different writers expressing this power that comes from a divine connection with Jesus. You know why? It is the avenue by which our lives change. It is that important. Through his divine power, we have everything we need for life and godliness. It is the key to transformation. It is the key to new life. It's a result of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It's power. So wherever you find yourself today, whatever you feel like limits you, whatever you wrestle with, struggle with, you have been given through divine power from Jesus everything you need for life and godliness. When I was a kid, my dad was a builder and is a builder. My grandfather was a builder. And so all of my life, I've never known like not building something. So from the time I was very, very young, my grandma and my mom were are still not really excited about it, but there's always something to be done, some kind of project. Anybody project people here in the room? Yeah, uh, there was always something to work on. And on the farm, there was always something to build. And so I always found myself alongside my dad and my grandfather working on something. And of all the tools that we used on the trailer and the truck, there was one tool that always showed up. It was a sledgehammer. Here's why. Any kind of thing that you came across, it seemed, all you needed to do was grab the sledge. So if you came across the board that you couldn't get loose, guess what, Trevor, get the sledge. I'm like, no problem. Get the sledgehammer and you bang on it a few times and it comes loose. Or you find a wall that may be a little bit out of alignment or a lot of it, get the sledge. You hit it a few times, a little bit hard, and you move it right back in place and everything's cool. A piece of concrete needs to be moved, get the sledge. You know why? A sledgehammer, it's power, it's might, it's force. And what we're given in the person of Jesus is this kind of power in our life. When we find ourselves stuck, unable to move forward, we find ourselves unable to overcome the things that exist within our life, we need look no further than the incarnation, Jesus himself, because he has given us divine power, energy, force, might, that we might be able to accomplish things that we otherwise would not be able to, aside from his help. So here's a question I have to honestly ask myself honestly and often. What excuses am I using for continuing to be in the circle that I'm in in my life? The cycle of doing this over and over and over again, whatever it might be. What excuses am I using for not being able to move forward? What excuses am I using for not being the kind of husband that I need to be or father I need to be? What do I feel like is the thing that's keeping me from moving forward? We have been given everything we need for a godly life through divine power that's come by Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus today, it is yours. Any other tool you could look for, it's not gonna solve it. No right-handed hammer, no board stretcher. This is the power that we need to change our lives. 
And the Bible says when you couple this power with two different tools that the scriptures and God has given to us, we see real transformation take place. And it's hope for us to build a foundation on Christ, the kind of life that God wants for us. Number one, the first tool we're given has been the scriptures. God has given us his word. He's given us the Bible. And the Bible, to be clear, is a collection of books and letters and poems. It's been written over a 1,500-year span by over 40 different authors. But it is a timeless tool that speaks to every aspect of our life. Throughout history, it has been shown to be trustworthy and true. I've heard it said this way, that the more than we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. When we open the scriptures and we begin to read God's word for us, more than we read it off the page, it begins to read our life and do something within us. Here's how Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this tool that God has given to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love what Paul says here. He says, this scripture, it's God-breathed and it's useful. It's a tool in our hands. It's a tool in our life that God has given to us. But the first thing we have to recognize is that it's not just simply words on a page. The, the Bible, it doesn't originate with humans. It's not just David's insight or Paul's wisdom or John's ideas. The scriptures originate with God first. The Bible says it's inspired by him. It's God-breathed, and it's birthed out of intimate relationship between God's people and himself. And it's been recorded that we might live into it and read it for ourselves and discover who God is. You see, a recent Barna study says in 2019 that only 48% of Christians read their Bible regularly. 48%. You know, one of the reasons that we are in this discernment period over the next 40 days is because 48% of people within churches read their Bible. We actually know what the scriptures say. The reason this is a tool for us and it's helpful to us is we can open it for ourselves. Do you realize one of the reasons the church has struggled over the years is because there have been people who've tried to keep the Bible from people. One of the reasons Martin Luther did what he did in the Reformation is he wanted the Bible in people's hands to read for themselves that we might wrestle with the scriptures and discover what God has for us. The Bible is a tool within our life. And I wanna be clear, I'm not just saying sitting down and reading words off a page, but letting what God has spoken to people long ago and also through them for us now, letting it seep deep into our souls to change us to teach us, to do something. There's two scriptures among many that have really formed me over the years. Well, the first one is Proverbs 29, 18. It says this very simply, where there is no vision, the people perish. I've had the scripture written in so many places throughout my home, in my wallet, in my office, in my bathroom. And it's a reminder to me always that if I have no vision for the kind of person that God wants me to be, if I let that seep down into my being, then if I don't have that vision, I'll, I'll perish. I won't discover all that God has for me if I have no vision that God has for me. The second one is Colossians 2, verse six. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus, 
continue to walk in him. Just as you received Christ Jesus, continue to walk in him. If I let this sit for just a minute, it shows me that the things that I first did when I became a Christian, I was so passionate and excited about his work in my life. I read the Bible so much. I spent time in prayer. I surrounded myself with the right kinds of people. I was passionate about him. But somewhere along the way, the passion fades. But the author knows this. He reminds us the first things that you did when you were first a follower of Jesus, continue to walk in those things. Keep it up that the passion might stay alive. You see, the scriptures were written for us that we might allow them into our being, that it might transform us in a deep, meaningful way. Second Timothy says it in two specific ways with four different words. First, he says the scriptures do this. They teach us and they train us. It's a tool in our life for teaching and training. It forms our minds and it forms our hearts. As people who are part of a fallen and broken world, we need the scripture to train our minds and our hearts to realign with God himself, to be trained in righteousness. The Bible teaches us how to love people, how to love them well. It teaches us how to handle conflict, how to defend our faith, how to serve those in need, how to handle our finances, how to enjoy life. There are endless lessons for us to take part in, but only if we open and we read it and allow it to permeate our souls. Second, Second Timothy tells us this, the scriptures also do something else. They rebuke us and they correct us. Who doesn't love a little rebuke and correct, right? They rebuke us and they correct us. See, what the scriptures do when we read them and they let them permeate our souls, it shows us the places that we're off. It exposes sin. It uncovers motives. It reveals false doctrine. The Bible reveals these things for us when we read it. The scriptures keep our hearts and lines level and aligned with the foundation that is built on Christ. See, at my house, my wife has her own toolbox. It's pink and black, and it's very small. I'm not allowed to touch it. I don't want to. But she carries this little box around with her, all kinds of things that are happening within the house. She'll grow, grab her little pink toolbox. I would be lying if I didn't say every once in a while, I'm like, hey, listen, uh, do you have a hammer? And she's like, oh, now you want the pink toolbox. But she carries it around with her. There's one tool, though, on the inside that she will not part with. It's the most important tool for her, and it's, it's a level. So in my house, if there's ever a picture or a mirror or something that's sitting on the wall not exactly perfectly aligned, she will say to me, that picture's off. And I will say, no, it's not. Does this happen at y'all's house? Okay, good. She's like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. That, that picture is just fine. I did it myself, and so it's absolutely fine. She's like, no, it's not fine. That is out of alignment. That is out of line. I'm like, no, it's not. She's like, I'll show you. And she'll go get her little pink level, and she'll come back and put the level on top of the thing, and guess what? I'm wrong every time. If I had a dollar for every time that I've said, no, that looks level to me, and then she proves me wrong, I'd be a rich man. But here's what she'll say to me, the level don't lie. And she'll use that level. And she reminded me last night before I even came to preach the sermon, she's like, Trevor, I don't even need a level. My eyes are the level. I'm like, okay, I don't have those kind of eyes. <laughs> but sure enough, she's right every single time. It's a level. It, it tells us when, when it's out of a line. We can look at it and say, that looks perfect. It looks right to me. But the level doesn't lie. It shows us when it's out of alignment. This is what the scriptures do for us. 
Not only do they teach us and train us, but they also rebuke us. They correct us. The level doesn't lie. It tells us when we're out of alignment with Christ himself. This is one of the tools that God has given to us. You see, the Bible, it helps us see where we've gone wrong. And the Bible does this for a very specific reason. It says the very end of 2 Timothy. It says it helps teach us and train us, rebuke us and correct us when we've gone wrong. And it does so because it's equipping us for every good work. I got news for you. If you got into this whole Christian thing thinking that all I'll do is just come on Sunday mornings and go back home and do my daily life and that kind of stuff, you've kind of missed out on a really big portion of the scriptures because God is in partnership with us. God's desire has been and will always be to make all things right, to put things back to his original intention, his original design. When things are broken, we as Christians, if we're submitted to him, can come alongside of him and make things right. That's why we have all of the programs, all the ministries are part of this church. That's why you have the opportunity to serve in kids' ministry and student ministry. You should think about it. But these are ways that we can be a part of God's good work in the world. And he has good work for you to do. But guess what? It may take some training. It may take some teaching. It may take some rebuke and correction to get us in line with the foundation that is Christ so that we can be useful alongside of him for all the good works that he's called us to. God has given us the scriptures as a tool for our life. Secondly, the Bible says also that God has given us the spirit. We've been given the scriptures, but we've also been given the spirit. When I first began reading the Bible, I remember being so frustrated as I read from Old Testament to New Testament. And the reason for my frustration was when I read the Old Testament and all the things the Israelite people saw with God, like pillars of fire, and pillars of smoke, and like voices coming from burning bushes, these kinds of crazy, wild things. I remember thinking to myself, I wanna be a part of that. Like that sounds exciting, that sounds awesome. Aside from all the violence and the things that took place too, but that, that right there, I could be a part of that. That sounds cool. And then I read on to the New Testament and I found out about Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who comes to earth and walks among us. And he's healing people, he's like multiplying food, I'm all about multiplying food, and he's doing all of these things. I remember reading, thinking, I wanna be a part of that too, to see Jesus in the flesh, talk with him, touch him. And then Jesus dies and he goes to heaven and then the Bible says we receive something called the Holy Spirit. And I was like, what a ripoff. Like Old Testament, I want, I want that. New Testament, Jesus in the flesh, I want that. And we get neither, but we get the spirit. And the older that I've gotten and the more that I've read, the more I've come to realize this is not some kind of widening gap between us and God. If anything, it is a closing of the gap between us and God. What looked like amazing things in the Old Testament was still very far off. Jesus in the flesh, much closer, but living and dwelling inside of us by the Holy Spirit as followers of Christ, you don't get closer than that. We've been given the scriptures to teach us and train us, rebuke us and correct us, but we've been given the Spirit to help us walk this walk through life alongside of God. The scriptures are the written presence of God, but the spirit is the indwelling presence of God inside of you and me as we place our trust in Christ. Here's the way Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the fleshly desires 
it desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, quite a list. And there are other lists throughout the scriptures as well. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that, these, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul says this, but those who belong to Christ Jesus, sorry, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So Paul juxtaposes the two things the results of the flesh in the first list, the results of the spirit in the second. He says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, Paul says, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Paul seems to suggest that in our lives, every single one of us, there is a tension. A tension between what Paul calls the acts of the flesh and then on the other side, it's the fruits of the Spirit. It gives two lists for these. And the reason he lists them out is because for any believer reading those lists, the hope would be you would get to the end and be like, well, I know what list I want. I don't want the first one. I want the second. Like if I live in submission to the Spirit where there is no law, if I live in submission to the Spirit and I can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things, I want that. Because that's the kind of stuff that will transform a marriage. That's the kind of stuff that will transform a relationship. That's the kind of stuff that will transform a community, that will transform a world if those things become a part of our life. So Paul says, the key is staying in step with the Spirit. One of my least favorite days with my dad and my grandpa when I was a kid was when we would pour concrete. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, pouring concrete, usually we started really early which is never fun. And then also it was very, very messy, also not fun. But there was a third reason that I really didn't like concrete days, and that was because my dad would have me help him as we poured the concrete down. There'd be two boards on each side that'd be level with each other. We would take what's called a striker board, usually a two by four, turn it on its side, and you set on those two pieces of wood, and my dad would be on one side, I'd be on the other. When he would say go, we would take that board and just kind of shimmy it back and forth really slow along the way, and if we did it right, the, the concrete would look beautiful. But if I was on the other side, it would oftentimes not look beautiful. And the problem was getting into the cadence that my dad had of shimming this board and pulling it just so, it, that was a hard cadence to find. But when I did, that's where the good stuff was. You could look back on the concrete, be smooth, it looked so nice. But if I find myself outside of cadence, if I get ahead of him a little bit too much or move the board back and forth a little too fast or get behind him and stay out of cadence, we'd look back and there'd be something wrong. My dad'd be like, okay, grab the board. We gotta come back here and start all over again. And then we would do it again to make sure it looked nice. So Paul says, you've been given the scriptures. You've been given the spirit as a tool. The key is staying in step with the spirit, finding God's cadence for life and walking along with him in every aspect of our life. Now, this is not an easy thing. I wanna be really honest. 
I mean, learning the cadence of the Spirit can be a real challenge. But what I've found is when I'm able to live into the Spirit, I treat my spouse differently. I'm more patient with my kids. I'm kinder in the workplace. I'm able to say yes to the things I should say yes to, and I'm able to say no to the things I should say no to because I'm walking with the Spirit. I found the cadence and I'm living into it. So I, want to, I just wanna be practical about this. I'm not perfect at this at all. I don't hear the Spirit. Some of you are like, you like hear the audible voice. I'm not like an audible voice guy. I've never, that's never happened to me. Um, but I have had times in my life where I feel like I've made, it's the only way I know how to explain it. I've made space enough where I feel like the Spirit has spoken to my spirit. And typically I know when it's the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of Trevor, because the Spirit of God doesn't sound like the Spirit of Trevor. The things I typically would think or want to do or decide to do, typically the Spirit seems to be something different. So there have been times where I've gone to lunch with someone and I just have said, God, would you just, would you speak through me right now? Would you give me words to speak here? And usually they're, they're more insightful, they're more patient, they're more big picture as opposed to the minutia of things. That's the Spirit speaking. When I drop my kids off in the morning, my boys off at school in the morning, it's been one of those bad mornings. And as soon as I leave, I, I feel the Spirit prompt mine and say, listen, you gotta make that right. I gotta wait the whole day for them to get out of school to be like, listen, I'm sorry. The way I spoke this morning, the things I did this morning, I apologize for that. That's Spirit. There have been times where I've gone to a hospital room and I'm like, I have no words to speak here. I have nothing to say here. Spirit, would you speak through me? And somehow he does. There's a peace and a presence and a calm in speaking. There have been times God has brought someone to my mind or to my heart to text or call and typically it's, it's the right time. I can't, I'm not that good. It's the Spirit's work. So the Spirit, to be very clear, is available to every single person who has submitted their life to Christ. Submission's the key. For some of us, we call ourselves Christians and we come to church on Sunday morning, but when it comes to actual submission to these things, living under these things, both Scripture and Spirit alike, that's where we begin to see life change. And for far too many of us, including myself, we are too busy, too self-sufficient, and we are too proud to allow ourselves to be led by God's Spirit. The Bible says this, in describing in 1 Timothy and also in Galatians, there's the exact same words used to describe both. So in 2 Timothy, when it's describing the Scriptures, it says that it's God-breathed. And the word there literally is pneuma. It means like wind or spirit or breath. It's God-breathed, the Scriptures are. And then in Galatians, when it's describing the opposite of the flesh, it's using the same word, pneuma meaning wind or breath or spirit. Here's the thing, both come from the same source, both from the mouth of God. The scriptures and the spirit, they are, they are two tools out of the same toolbox that God has given to us. What that means is if that's true, then these two tools must work in tandem with one another. So when we feel like the spirit speaks to us, that spirit will never contradict what is written within scripture. And what is written in Scripture will always point us to the Spirit. Because when we can learn to right foot, left foot, Spirit, Scripture, Spirit, then we start finding the cadence of God in our life. We uncover the power that comes to us, the dunamis, the force, the might that God wants to work in us and through us. These two tools work in tandem with one another. 
there's a lot of tools maybe in your garage, your shed, your barn, where by themselves they're kind of worthless, like a chisel. I mean, a chisel's cool, but if you had a chisel all on its own, there's not a whole lot you can do with just a chisel. But you partner a chisel with a hammer, now you're talking about construction. You can get something done with a chisel and a hammer. If you've got an electric drill, but you have no extension cord, you've got nothing. With an electric drill, without an extension cord, you might be able to turn it and work real hard to get one screw in, but I promise you, you'll quit after that one. But with an extension cord, the power that's supplied for the electric drill, things change. The scripture and the spirit are two tools that God has given to us that we have to utilize in tandem with one another. And when we do, they are the right tool for the job. They're the right tool for the job to help us build a foundation for life. Now, I think in this room, maybe some of us, when it comes to scripture, when it comes to the spirit, maybe we're so unfamiliar with these tools that we're a bit intimidated to actually even try to use them. To open the Bible and read it just seems difficult. To, to try to speak to God through the spirit seems like a really difficult thing to do. And, and part of the problem is because I think we've maybe been conditioned this way. Back to Salkahatchee, I talked about it at the beginning. I loved my week in Suckahatchee every time that I went, but there was a couple things that I really didn't like. And one of them was, it was oftentimes one, maybe two adults that would be there that were super proficient with tools, had worked with tools their entire life, but they had never worked with 14-year-olds. Now, one of them is not Jay Collins, to be clear. But these adults, they would have a really difficult time working with these kids who had never seen a chop saw before in their life, who had never seen a hammer or you know, a chisel or a roofing nail, any of this kind of stuff. They've never seen these things. And so to be an adult, to work with 14-year-olds on top of a roof with these kinds of tools, it takes incredible patience. And some of these adults had zero. And the saddest part of all is what would happen is these adults would get so frustrated with these kids trying to use these new tools, and they would be like, what are you doing? And they're like, I have no idea. But what would happen is from the frustration, these students would finally say, you know what? I give up. I don't even want to try anymore. Like there's such frustration here and clearly I don't know what I'm doing and they would walk away and they'd never pick up a hammer again. That too often is what happens with our spiritual life. I'm afraid many of us in the room, we have found ourselves in the same place. Like so frustrated over trying to read the scriptures or to listen to the spirit that we've thrown in the towel. There's some good news for us this morning that we have to keep in mind we have an incredible example within the scriptures of how to live these two things out through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the master craftsman. He knows how to use both perfectly. So you see in the scriptures, like in Matthew chapter four, verse four, you see Jesus say that man does not live on bread alone, but from what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus affirms the scriptures are incredibly important. This is where we find our life. Then in John 16, Jesus says something amazing. He's like, listen, it's good that I go to heaven and leave you. Because if I leave, then you'll receive the helper, the Holy Spirit, to live and dwell inside of you. Jesus knew the importance of both of these tools. And he lived them out perfectly. He's the perfect craftsman. And he shows us how to do it in our life as well. One of the most amazing passages of scripture where Jesus does this, I think, comes in the Gospels in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, here's what he says to his disciples. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. I mean, how many of us need some rest for our souls? That when it comes to the Christian life, we find it's just effort after effort after effort after effort and trying and trying and trying and failing. And I love what Jesus says to his listeners. And he says to us today, take my yoke upon you. Now, during Jesus's time, when he spoke about a yoke, he was talking about a wooden harness that would go over two cattle. You would put this harness, this yoke on them, and it would allow those two cattle to pull a plow and to plow a field and do all kinds of great work. And they wouldn't do it apart from one another. They would do it together. And so when Jesus invites us to take on his yoke, what he's saying is this, this way of living, this cadence that I'm inviting you into, this scripture and spirit, scripture and spirit, this foundational life that you're trying to build, you don't do it by yourself. If you yoke up with me, I will help you do it. I will give you the power to accomplish it. And I love what he says, because I will be patient with you. So I'm humble in heart. And I'm kind. Maybe this morning you just need to hear this, that, that Jesus is not frustrated with you. He's not cosmically angry because you've not been able to do these things perfectly. Or even now as you're trying to navigate some of the things the world has thrown at you, you feel like you're failing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Take my yoke upon you. I'll do this with you. Through my power, you'll be able to accomplish this. Because I'm kind. I'm patient. I'm humble in heart. My dad is a pretty skilled individual. When I was a kid, one of the most cool things he would ever do would he would start a nail in a board, and then once that nail was standing straight up, he would take a hammer with one hit, he would, boom, nail the, hammer, ha- the nail all the way to the wood. One shot. I remember being like, wow, I want to do that when I get big. And he and his buddies, they would do it back and forth. My grandfather would get involved, and, I, and of course, I would always have such trouble trying to make this happen, because I was a kid. I didn't know how to you know, work both these things. And so I would try to get the nail, get it started just right, and then I'd try to hit it myself, and it would knock over every time. So my dad would take that nail and he would hold it on the board. And he's like, listen, I'll help you start it. And once you get started, then you can hit it in. I'd be like, dad, that's a very dangerous thing. Like, I know. Just, he would hold the nail in his hand and he would hold it on the board. He said, just hit the top of it, get it started. Then I'll move my hand so you don't ruin everything. But I'll help you get this thing started. Just hit the top of the nail. And there was some sketchy times between myself and my dad. I didn't know if I was going to like destroy fingers or whatever else. But he would say, listen, I trust you. Just hit the top of the hammer. Just hit the top of the nail. You can do this. We'll get it started. I'll move out of the way. You can finish it up. And sure enough, after years of learning this kind of thing, I too can impress people with my nailing ability. Actually, they said I was a lot like lightning. I don't strike in the same place twice, but I'm still working on that. But watching my dad kind of teach in that kind of way reminds me so much of the way Jesus does things. Like, listen, I know this is hard. I know living in this world and navigating scripture and spirit is not easy. If you take my yoke upon you, I'll teach you, I'll help you. So I'm kind, I'm patient, I'm humble in heart. You see, Jesus, he took the nails in his hands too. When he was nailed to the cross, he gave his life for you and for me. It is the power of his death and a resurrection that allows us to live into this life at all. And it's available to all of us today. God has given us every tool we need for the job. We can do it. And I believe a church like this that can live into scripture and spirit, that can live into all of these fruits of the spirit that come from our life, like love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, 
we do this kind of thing, that changes things. That's a foundation for life and one that I want to be a part of. Would you pray with me? God, I confess to you this morning that too often I find myself struggling to live into the cadence that you have for this life. I find it difficult sometimes, God, to open your word and feel like I'm hearing from you. I feel it difficult sometimes, God, to open my spirit to you and feel like you're leading me. But God, I wanna take your yoke upon me. I wanna learn from you. Thank you for being patient with me and patient with us. So Father, by no means do we feel like we have this figured out. We're just trying to live this life the best we know how. So God, we need your power today. I pray that today, God, you would transform marriages and families, transform circumstances and situations, transforms hearts and minds, free us from anxiety, free us from addiction, God, as we live into the cadence that you have for us. Right foot, left foot, scripture and spirit, we will follow you all the way. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. And it's in your name that we pray and everyone together said, amen.